Well, good morning. If uh, you're visiting here with us for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Mike McKay, and uh, our pastor, J.P. Morse, is out of town for a couple of weeks, and he has graciously asked me to preach in his absence. And as I was preparing uh, this sermon, feeling inadequate and uh, fearful, and certainly undeserving of this opportunity, First uh, Timothy 1 came to mind, where Paul is writing to encourage Timothy. And this is what it says, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is so encouraging because uh, it's Christ that is on display and it is Christ that is doing the displaying this morning. It's so fitting for Christians to gather, meet together each week for worship to exalt this glorious God. To worship, to praise, to adore Him together. We also come together to exhort one another that none may be deceived or hardened by the deceitfulness of sins, as it says in Hebrews 3. As we live in obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, we show to those who do not yet know Christ what He is like as we gather together. He is God. He's absolute reality. He never had a beginning. He is not becoming. He is unchanging, utterly independent, self-sustained, in him is life and everything else is totally dependent upon him. It's through our singing, the preaching of the word, the Lord's Supper, baptisms, our giving of our tithes and our offerings, using the gifts that God has given us to serve his body. In all these things, each we, we remind each other that our God is great. We come here to make much of Him. Everything we do here should be pointing to Him, this mighty triune God. I had an opportunity to go to Alaska, and uh, we went to the Denali National Park at Mount McKinley. And as we were driving through the park, we'd come across these groups of people that would be uh, gathered together, and they'd be pointing and, and looking and so naturally we pull in to see what they're looking at. And it would often be like a majestic bull moose. Uh, other groups along the way, we'd see different wildlife as we went. And, and I got to thinking that had we not seen these people pointing and looking, we, we probably would have missed seeing some of these beautiful sights. And you know, I could not tell you anything about the people that we pulled up to, to look with. But I can tell you, and I can remember with detail, everything, single thing that we saw. Well, here 
at this roadside side gathering, uh, that's what we're all doing, is we're pointing, but to something even greater, the creator of the universe. Acts 17 tells us the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So today, we're here to point to him and to display his beauty. So let's go to the Lord in prayer before we open his word together. Father in heaven, you alone are worthy of our interest, our attention, our admiration and enjoyment. Nothing exists that is more satisfying than you, and it's idolatrous for us to seek you as a means to any other. Lord, we know you to be supremely loving. Offer only what is supremely valuable, beautiful, satisfying, and that is you alone. Father, we confess to you this morning that we are often lured away from, the, from your beauty by the shiny things of this world. Forgive us, we pray. We confess that we have little love for you and little love for your people. Satisfy us with your steadfast love today that we may serve you with glad hearts. Lord, enlarge our hearts that we may have a greater capacity to love and worship you in a worthy manner. We ask that you would display your beauty through your word this morning by the power of your spirit. Amen. So how are we doing today? JP's sermon last week, the last thing he, he asked us was, how is your relationship with Christ? The good shepherd, do you know him? Do you hear his voice? Do you, do you follow him? Are you persuaded that God is the fountain of every good? Do you seek him alone for joy and hope? Do you honor and adore him so much that you truly have given yourself to him in willing service and obedience? As Christians, we all desire to grow in these areas. So today, as we go to the Word of God, uh, we go to the Word to hear His voice. Our sermon text today is in Psalm 90, uh, as was read so beautifully earlier. If you'd like to open your Bibles, uh, it will be helpful to follow along as we, as we go through this uh, scripture. Psalm 90 uh, recorded the prayer of Moses. For God, asking for God's mercy and compassion on God's wayward people. This is the psalm that re, this is the only psalm that refers to Moses' writings. This psalm would have been sung over the years uh, by the worshiping community as a lament. It would bring to mind the, to the singing congregation the events around the time of Deut Deuteronomy before the chosen people were about to enter uh, the promised land crossing the Jordan River. This psalm expresses many emotions, including love and adoration for God, as well as sorrow for sin, thankfulness for God's care. So as we go through this psalm this morning, we're going to look very closely 
uh, at this prayer and spending most of our time looking at the details and the implications of it. Um, and then we'll conclude with how this psalm applies to our lives today. The prayer of Moses, a man of God. The first thing we'll see is, uh, is how many times Moses uses the word you. Let's read for, through the first 11 verses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, forever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, and your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath, and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength eighty, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So here, uh, there are four attributes of God that, that Moses acknowledges in this prayer. Verses 1 and 2, he acknowledges the eternality of God. Verses 3 through 6, the sovereignty of God. Verses 7 through 12, the righteous anger of God. And verses 13 through 17, the mercy of God. Look again at verses 1 and 2, the eternality of God. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So Moses begins by acknowledging the eternal existence of God before he had ever created anything. God being self-sustaining has life within himself and draws his unending energy from himself needing nothing. There is no possibility of him ever to cease to exist from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This everlasting God brought forth the mountains and formed the earth and the world. He created time and man. Psalms 102 says, From of old you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hand. They will perish, but you will remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe. They will pass away, but you are the same, and your years have no end. Hebrews 1 cites this passage in reference to Christ. 
Verses 3 through 6, the sovereignty of God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades away. It is God who returns man to dust. He determines the number of your days. Your days are few, and you do not know which one will be your last. A thousand years to God are but as a day, even shorter, as a watch in the night. So if a thousand years are as a watch in the night to God, our seventy or eighty years must be as a blink of an eye. Verse 5, it is God's, God in his sovereign control that sweeps man away as a flood. We are gone just as fast as we got here. So temporary, like a dream, like grass that comes up in the morning and in the evening fades away. Verses 7 through 11, the righteous anger of God, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. And they are gone. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? It is God who returns man to dust. He determines the number of your days. Your days are few and you do not know which one will be your last. A thousand years to God are but as, as a day, it says. Even shorter as a watch in the night. So if a thousand, so it is God's sovereign control that sweeps man away as a flood. Verses 7 through 11. The righteous anger of God. Moses understands the hatred that God has and the wrath and justice against it. Remember, Moses witnessed the deaths of many of the rebellious people over the 40 years in the wilderness. Hebrews 3, verses 16 through 19 says, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt, led by Moses? And with whom was it that he provoked, was provoked for 40 years was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see here, they were unable to enter the rest because of, of unbelief. Moses saw firsthand God's dealing with this disobedient people. 
He saw the earth open up and swallow some who would refuse to follow God. He was well familiar with God's perfections and his commands and the sinfulness of man. Moses confesses in verse 8, on behalf of God's chosen people, that it is their iniquities and secret sins that are before God in the light of his presence. Verse 11, who considers the power of your anger according to the fear of you? And the answer is no one. No one does. There is no one who can measure the, the might of the Lord's wrath. Charles Spurgeon says, There are people dying every day all around us, which is a terrible result of God's displeasure. And it is impossible to exaggerate the wrath and anger of God against sinful man. We may think of the terror of it and the horror associated with it, Yet our thoughts fall far from the reality of the fierce power of his anger. No one can rightly conceive what the power of God's anger is in hell or what it would be on earth if it were not constrained by mercy. Unquote. So let's just linger here for, for just a moment. The text is pointing to God. Look, look, see the greatness of God, see the power of God, the sovereignty, the holiness of God. Do you get a sense of his anger? Oftentimes when we pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We should just, just stay there for a while before we move on to to asking him for the needs of our, our day. Just linger there. Psalms 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name and the splendor of his holiness. Jonathan Edwards writes, God being infinitely love, lovely because he has infinite excellencies and beauty. He is a being of infinite greatness, majesty, and glory, and therefore he is infinitely honorable. His authority over us is infinite and is ground of his right to our obedience is infinitely strong. For he is infinitely worthy to be obeyed himself, and we have an absolute, universal, and infinite dependence upon him. So that sin against God being a violation of infinite obligation, unquote. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So at this point, you can understand why the people of God would need a mediator between them and God. And you can understand also why this psalm would have been sung over the years as, as a lament. That they would feel the weight of their sins in the presence of this holy God. 
Well, look at Psalms 106 just to get a sense of the sinfulness of this people. And I'm sure we can relate this in our own lives in various ways as well. Psalms 106, verses 26 uh, through 23. It says, both we and our fathers have sinned. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. He saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry. He led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, and not one of them was left. And they believed his works and sang his praise. Verse 13, but they soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but they had a wanton craving in the wilderness and put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. When men in the camp were jealous of Moses and Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in horror and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for an image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous things in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath. Over in Deuteronomy, I'll read quickly verses 9 through 25, which records this prayer of Moses. And it says, So I lay prostrate before the Lord these forty days and forty nights, because the Lord had said that he would destroy you. And I prayed to the Lord, O Lord, do not destroy your people and your heritage, whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do not regard the stubbornness of this people, or their wickedness, or their sin, lest the land from which you brought us say, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land that he promised them, and because he hated them, and he brought them out to put them to death in the wilderness. For they are your people, and your heritage, and you brought out by your great power and outstretched um, Moses was concerned with God's glory and his reputation. 
He did not want God's name to be marred. So this takes us to the final verses in the chapter where Moses is pleading for the mercy of God. And we read in verses 12 through 17, So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Notice how boldly, almost demandingly, that Moses asked God for compassion. Moses is zealous for God's glory. He knows that it is only the work of this glorious God that will overcome the sins of man. Moses has, has contrasted the frailty of man, and has based his appeal for compassion on it. And it is for this very reason that Moses can ask God for mercy. Man has no other hope. Remember, Moses is praying for his people, knowing that they are about to go into the promised land. And, and God is going to make his name known to the world through this people. Verse 12 says, uh, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of, of wisdom. So what does it mean to, to number our days? We, we have no idea how many we have. It is God who returns man to dust. He has already determined which day will be our last. We may only have one day left. It could mean to teach us to use our time wisely. Uh, because our time is short on this earth. And that's something that we, we should be doing for sure, knowing how little time we have. But I think the next five verses, the final five verses, help us to get a, a little bit better understanding of numbering our days as Moses is pleading for God's mercy and co compassion. So it says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on us. Satisfy us with your steadfast love, that we may, we may rejoice all our days. So all the days that we have left, the number of our days, satisfy us with your steadfast love. Make us glad as many days as you have afflicted us. As many days as we have struggled, make us glad. Let the favor of the Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands as we number our days and we get a heart of wisdom. Moses knows the power of God in creation and in his wrath and that God has the power to favor his chosen people and to establish the work of their hands. The efforts of man are nowhere to be found in this prayer. 
only the great need that we have for pity and favor. Moses is asking God to, to do these things. That he teaches them to number their days. That he shows pity and returns to strengthen. That he satisfies with his steadfast love. That he makes them glad. That he shows his work and his glorious power. That he gives favor. That he establishes the work of their hands. So what does this all boil down to? I don't know if you've ever given that phrase much thought, what does this all boil down to, but, but I grew up in Maine and my family and friends each spring would, would, uh, would go out and collect sap from maple trees. They would take gallons of this sap and boil it down to make syrup. It would take a lot of uh, quite a lot of gallons to, to boil and the steam would rise up and after some time you'd look in the bottom of the, of the pot and you'd see this liquid gold. The sweetest, best tasting, most delicious syrup you will ever taste in your life. And if you pour that over ice cream, you have a taste of heaven. So that's what it means to boil what it all boils down to. So what is the sweetness of this prayer that we can taste and enjoy with satisfaction? It's God himself. He is what we were created for. To love and adore and honor him. We will get to enjoy him him for all eternity and he gets glory and praise that he deserves so what is the application to this to our lives this morning and it's very simple and here it is work harder in your Christian life than anyone you know pray more Read your Bible more. Spend more time with other Christians. Talk to your neighbors. Don't miss Sunday worship. Get involved with missional community groups. Go on this mission trip with Gary. Give your money and your time. Obey God in every area of your life. Volunteer for the nursery. <laughs> Maybe that's going a little too far. <laughs> this is the application. Because it is God who is establishing your work. It is His work. This prayer was not recorded that we could say, it sure would be nice uh, if God could do that for me, but. Or, well, if I could just muster up enough faith Maybe God will show me a little favor, and, uh, but only in proportion to my efforts and what I do know. This is all ours in Christ. Go live the life that he has given you for his glory. Change diapers, swing hammers, work on computers, whatever it is that you're doing. He is there to teach you, 
to number your days. He is there. He has returned. He has shown pity. He does satisfy in the morning with his steadfast love that we may rejoice. He has shown his mighty work and glorious power. And we are favored by him. He establishes our work. Yes, he establishes our work. We just simply, faith simply is believing what he says. Paul says in, in his word that he worked harder than anyone, and yet he quickly says, not I, but Christ that works in me. So I'd like to close with just by reading Ephesians 3, verses 4 through 21 in closing. And it says this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we all think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.